Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the goodness that you pour out into our lives. The breath that we have in our lungs comes from you, comes from you. In you, we live and move and have our being. So Holy Spirit, would you fill this place now? Meet us, speak to us, deliver us, break chains that are around our hearts, depression, pride, fear, whatever it is that's holding us back, Lord, break it today. And we give you permission to speak to us this, Lord, awaken our spirits, and we bind up and mute everything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to interfere with this time, now in Jesus' name. And all God's beloved saints said, Amen. Amen. This is our last Sunday in the book of John. Isn't that crazy? We're going to end it. We're going to land the plane today. So John ends. Stand for the benediction. Um, so this is it. We're so excited. Next week uh, is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. We're going to build an Ebenezer. Um, and an Eben, Eben means stone. Ezer means to remember. And so it's this pile of rocks that you see all in the Middle East uh, where, where we remember how good God is to us. This time, um, we're not going to build pile rocks. We have something else special to you where we're going to build an Ebenezer that we've created that's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and it'll be an opportunity for you to express thanksgiving next week uh, in a really special moment in our worship service. So we encourage you to come. Um, the book of John has been an incredible journey for me. Um, every, every sermon I preach, I don't preach to you. I preach to me. It's one of the benefits of being a pastor is that you, you hear the gospel every week because you're forced to preach it to yourself. <laughs> and so t today's a special day because I can really relate with today's passage. Uh, my story is not a story of success. It's a story of falling flat on my face over and over and over again. Part of the terrifying thing about being a pastor is that the uh, uh, the assumption is, is that uh, I have my life more together than you do. That's not true. <laughs> I feel like I'm one page ahead of the class most of the time. Uh, and what today's passage communicates and reveals to me is, because it's about Peter, Peter gets restored by Jesus today. I'm so grateful for this passage because we've been talking about how resurrection happens instantaneously. Just like when a tree is planted in the ground, it's planted. And then that tree takes time to grow, right? Yes. So resurrection, two things happen. Two things happen. I mean, one is that you, something instantly happens, like God gives you a new heart. God raises you from the dead. You're adopted, forgiven, accepted, loved instantly. You're in. And then at the same time, then resurrection takes time to grow in you. And, and part of, I think, the myth of American Christianity is that when we invite Jesus into our heart and we say yes to him, that everything's better. And for sure, some things are better. I mean, a lot of things are better, Right? You're saved and forgiven. Awesome, hallelujah, yay. And at the exact same time, 
then we wonder why months, weeks, years later, why it is that we're still struggling with things in our Christian life. And today this passage shows you that number one, that's normal, but number two, that there's hope. And this passage talks to you about what it looks like to experience resurrection in the middle of everyday life. So that's where we're going today. You ready? So will you read with me in the last chapter of John, starting in verse 1, chapter 21. Here we go. After these things, so re resurrection, all, crucifixion, all that. Thomas, right? Doubting. Where Jesus first brings resurrection to Thomas's doubt. And then remember that awful thing that Jesus says after he fills them with his Holy Spirit? You remember from last week? The thing that he says right after, after he gives them the Holy Spirit, he says what? No. <laughs> you, you forgot. He says, forgive. He says, forgive. Oh, boy. I'm going <laughs> to re-preach last week's sermon real quick. The idea, the idea is simple, right? The most tender places where Jesus starts with his resurrection work is in our doubts but, and then in our wounds. So that's after these things. Let's keep on reading. After these things, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples again. That's just the um, Greek name for Galilee. It's the Sea of Galilee. Keep on reading. And here is how he revealed himself. They were all together. So this is uh, six disciples and Simon Peter, right? So seven of them all together. We got their names in John. I'm just skipping it for time. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So the first part of this passage is bookended by the word revealed. Twice in this section here, is the word revealed. And then once again in verse 14, and if you remember after reading through the book of John, that anytime one word is repeated, you know, three times, that's something to pay attention to. And so we need to pay attention. How is Jesus revealing himself to the disciples? Where is Jesus revealing himself to the disciples? Well, so they've left Jerusalem um, after the resurrection, Right? That's smart, because everybody else has gone home too. And so all the disciples are looking around, and the, you know, Jerusalem is back to normal, filled with temple guards and the same Pharisees and Sadducees that arrested and crucified Jesus. So the disciples think, hmm, maybe I won't stick around. Plus, um, no one is excited about Jesus anymore because they've all watched him be publicly executed, and that's one way to end a nonprofit is to kill the leader. Right? Please don't do that here. Um, so they decide that they're going to go home and they're going to go back to work. So they go back to work because they're all fishermen. That's what they know. They're going back to work. And so what happens? Verse 4. Next slide. Read with me. Early in the morning. Can you picture yourself there? Not early in the morning. <laughs> Beth says, no way. I'm an after nine girl, right? Early in the morning. It is, it's dawn. 
right? It's, it's pre-dawn. The sun, there's a glow in the sky. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Makes sense. You're out in the water. Anybody that you see on the shores, the Sea of Galilee is in a big bowl, in the big caldera, and so the sun hasn't come up over the rim of the, of the hills, the Galilean hills, which means that Jesus is a dark silhouetted figure on the shore. Picking up what I'm putting down, what John's putting down? And, and Jesus called out to them, read this with me, friends, haven't you any fish? Hey, did you guys catch anything? What do they respond? That's like, man, let's go fishing. And then they go fishing, and they don't catch anything. It's like they're hungry, they're tired, they made no money all night long. And then, the, then Jesus says something really obnoxious. Read with me. He said, throw your net to starboard, and you'll find some. Port starboard. Port has four letters. Left has four letters. Starboard has more than four letters. And right has more than four letters. Port starboard. There's, there's this as well, but I don't know what that means. Um, so some jerk, a dark silhouette on the shore, tells professional fishermen who haven't caught anything all night long. The jerk on the shore can't see anything. The professional fisherman in the boat can see everything in the water. And the jerk on the shore says, throw your net three feet to the right and you'll catch something. <sighs> That's insulting. <laughs> Only an arrogant and bossy fool shouts something like this. And oftentimes, this is how, exactly how we feel about Jesus showing up in our own work. We know how to work. We don't need Jesus at work telling us how to do our job, do we? We already have a boss. He's terrible. I'm speaking of the employees at this church, right? <laughs> business is business, after all, we reason. Or maybe it isn't. Now, the disciples have heard this before when they first started fishing and there was this annoying carpenter on the shore and he told them the exact same thing that happened three years earlier. And so someone in the group, we don't know who, says, this sounds familiar. Let's try it. Next slide, John. And they did. And when they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, you just need to understand, like, Jesus isn't being arrogant by telling the disciples to throw their net to starboard. Jesus reveals himself at their work to bless them, to give them not only a ton of fish to eat, but also a ton of fish to sell because Jesus wants to bless businesses. That's how Jesus works. Why? Well, because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus wants you to listen to him. Yes, while you're working. Yes, while you're retired. 
Yes, while you're a student, Jesus wants you to listen to him because he wants to bless every single area of your life. When you say, Jesus, don't enter into this area of my life, what you're saying is, I don't want your blessing at all. And some of us learn this the hard way. We want Jesus to mind his own business regarding our work or our marriage or our sexuality or our finances or our politics or our eating. I could keep on naming different things, but you get the idea, right? <clears throat> I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just naming the issues in my own life. Remember, I preach to myself. So how's that going to work out for us when we say, Jesus, butt out of this section of my life? <clears throat> Not good. Preach it, Sherry. <laughs> See, God wants to pour the fruit of his spirit in every area of your life. He wants your marriage and your finances and your sexuality and your politics and how you treat your body and how you deal with fear and how you deal with conflict. He wants every single one of those areas of your life to be saturated with love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God wants every, every, every area of your life to flourish. Every single area. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to listen when Jesus says, Starboard! When Jesus speaks to you about what's going on in your life and says, Starboard, are you willing to listen? Or are you going to argue with him that he doesn't know what he's talking about? He can't see from where he's standing. You're there working alone. See, you've got every reason to doubt whether or not he knows what he's talking about. And it comes down to this. Do you believe that Jesus is good? And do you believe that he's smarter than you? So are you willing to listen when he says starboard? There's seven of you. Let's practice saying yes. Let me ask you the question again. Because I believe that when you make a, a decision right here and right now, like it works... Remember, I'm not performing. We're doing soul work right now. And so when I ask you a question and you respond, you're giving the permission for the Holy Spirit to do his work. So when Jesus says starboard, when he gives you direction, are you willing to listen and also obey? Yes. Ooh, that was, ooh, I got shivers. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. I love it that John writes himself in here, right? He's the one who believed after the resurrection. He's the one who arrived to the tomb first. He's always one-upping Peter. We'll see this later on in this passage. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. That means he put on his underwear. And he jumped into the water, and this is what I think it looked like. <laughs> right? It's the Lord. And Peter's like, there's the Lord. And he's like, hi. And then the disciples are in the boats, and then he jumped into the water. 
So he's swimming, and all the other disciples are rowing in the boat, right? Not a very fast swimmer, but he's getting there, and there's Jesus on the shore smoking a cigar, <laughs> right? Waiting for Peter. And Peter says, Jesus, almost. He says, Jesus, I missed you. And Jesus says, hi, how's it going? Uh, you know, you denied me three times. You owe me some money, right? And Peter's like, okay, well, sorry about that. Can we be friends? And then Jesus says, love my, feed my sheep. And Peter's like, okay, I can do that. And then that's a metaphor for Peter's life right there. <laughs> there it is. Gotta love Forrest. Every time I read this verse, it's Lieutenant Dan, and he jumps off the boat, right? <clears throat> verse 8, here we go. The other disciples followed in the boat. Can you picture it? They're rowing, same pace that Peter is swimming. How's it going? Who <laughs> get there first. <gasps> Full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with their, their, with fish on it. Oh, Jesus did know where the fish were. Hmm. And some bread. Jesus is making fish tacos for them. The bread wouldn't have been like fluffy bread. It would have been flat bread like naan or, or soft matzah. Literally fish tacos. There's your theological reasoning to eat fish tacos as often as possible. In the Greek, there's some white sauce and some shredded cabbage on there as well. Okay, <clears throat> verse, verse 10. So Jesus said to who? Jesus said to who? Them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. The fish you've just caught? Jesus told them where to catch the fish. But notice that Jesus wants them, all of them, to see their bounty, to use it, to involve them. Right? This is prayer. We pray. Jesus does the work. Why does Jesus want us to do this work? This is, this is change for a dollar. This is loving junior high kids who are allergic to church at Young Life. This is, this is caring for people. This is, this is giving generously. None of this stuff actually changes people's lives. That's God's job, but we get to be involved, right? We get to be involved. Why does Jesus want us involved? Well, because it's fun. And we're built for it. And God wants to show us in every single area of our life that when we join him in his work and we listen to his voice, that things turn out better. And, and as, this, as we listen to Jesus in every area of our life, and then every area of our life starts increasing in bounty and spilling over so that we can be a blessing to other people, we won't say, look how marvelous I am. We won't say, oh, what an incredible job I've done. What will we say? Thank you, Jesus. We, we cannot help but to give God the glory. That's what we will do with our life. Verse 11. So all of the disciples climbed into the boat and dragged the net ashore. 
because Jesus said to them to go get the fish. Hmm. Read it with me. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Every time I read this, I think to myself, large fish, 153 of them, I say three pound average, that's 450 pounds, 59 pounds plus a hundred pound net, 550. So can anybody here lift and drag 550 pounds on a sled? Trevor can in the back, he raised his hand. That's good job, Hillary. Way to go. You're talking about towing it in your car, right? And maybe when, I mean, if you work out for a long time, you can get up to that. But, but Peter's doing it alone. Why is he doing it alone? What's going on here? What in the world is going on here? Let's read the next two verses and I'll attempt an explanation. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And Jesus came to them, to the disciples. He took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So one point first before we get to Peter. Again, third time the word reveal shows up. And, and, and what is the purpose of Jesus's, what is he trying to do with his friends here? Yeah, he, he's, he's making them breakfast. He, he's making them breakfast. Did you know that Jesus reveals himself to you so that you can spend time with him? Like, it's just, it's not just about, like, I'll do nice things for Jesus. And it's not just like, well, Jesus wants to change me. It's actually, do you know that you get to just enjoy his presence in the simple everyday part of your life? Did you know that? So Jesus shows up. He shows up in their everyday life at work. Terrible, right? At home, when we're alone, when we're with our friends, Jesus is constantly showing up. And the first thing that Jesus wants to do is to be with us. And when Jesus shows up, sometimes our heart is changed in an instant, like with Thomas. His doubt was dissolved. His questions were answered. He, he, he got the evidence that he needed, and he said, my Lord and my God. And sometimes resurrection also takes time. Remember what resurrection is, right? Next, next slide, John. Resurrection is new creation where Jesus dwells within us and Jesus is making us new. But I don't think that that's what Peter thinks. Peter still thinks he has to prove himself, to do it all by himself, to show everyone that he's got the goods, that he's not a failure. In other words, Peter is just like me. Can you relate? Peter thinks that he's going to resurrect himself by his own efforts. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He knows and he trusts and he loves Jesus, yet he's still hamstrung by his pride. I need you to know something. Jesus is going to show up to your life, and your pride might still be there. Like Jesus is going to show up in your life, and your shame might still be there. Jesus is going to show up in your life, and your fear might still be there. He's going to show up in your life, and your greed or your lust still might be there. And that's what happens with Peter. The first thing that Jesus does when he shows up to Peter, Peter says, let's go fishing. I know fishing. I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing for 20 plus years. I'm an expert at fishing. How does it go for fishing that night? Not well. Jesus has already caught his fish on the shore making fish tacos for his friends. So he instructs Peter. This is a way of dissolving Peter's pride. First, he tells Peter, throw your net three feet starboard. So Peter obeys. And now Peter, still demonstrating his own pride by swimming to the shore all by himself, still demonstrating his own pride by trying to drag a 500-pound net full of fish by himself. Jesus goes, oh, man, maybe we need to have a longer conversation, Peter. And that's what's going to happen next. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, by the way, that's a great time to have a conversation. If you're going to have a significant conversation with someone, eat first, right? Also, don't have it at 1130 at night, right? Or six o'clock in the morning, right? Have a nice meal, then talk. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's not talking about the fish. He's talking about the other disciples. You remember just like a week earlier, Peter had declared in the upper room that he was the best of all disciples. He said, oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. And he was elevating himself over all of the other disciples. And so Jesus is like, hey, Peter, um, you still think you're the head cheese? You still think you're the best disciple of them all? And Peter says, do, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I love you more than the other disciples. He just says, I love you. I do. He's been humbled enough to understand that he's failed by denying Jesus three times. And so he no longer needs to be the best of the best of the best. He's okay with just who he is. Jesus isn't trying to shame Peter. Jesus is trying to dissolve Peter's pride. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus said, Feed my little ones. You know, the little kids that cry, the junior hires, the, the molting ones, the ones that are immature. Feed them, love them, shepherd them, take care of them. Jesus is telling Peter, will you care for these disciples and the ones who come after them? 
like I'm caring for you right now? Will you love them with gentleness and grace, even if they deny me, even if they're prideful? See, Jesus, Peter was a lamb, immature, right? Den pretending that he was the best, trying to be the best, and yet at the same time failing miserably. He's a lamb. And Jesus is saying, will you love and feed people who are just as annoying as you are? Will you? Ooh, watch out this week. You'll find someone just like you to love. Won't that be terrifying? <laughs> Verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not do you have the right answers. Not are you perfect. Not have you tithed enough. Not have you shown up every week to church. Not are you wearing the right outfit. Not, are you popular on Instagram? Not, do you have enough Facebook friends? Not, are you wealthy and rich? Not, have you been promoted recently? It's, do you? And Peter's response, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Peter, Jesus asks the question, do you love me? Peter's response is the same. I love you, Jesus. Now the lambs are getting older. They've turned into sheep. But the command is still the same. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling Peter. Jesus is telling you. Jesus is telling me. Love me. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Then love the little ones that he gives you. And as you love Jesus, your love for your kids and your grandkids and, your, and anybody that's in your life, as you love Jesus, your love will be the kind of love that fosters maturity and life and growth in them. You picking up what I'm putting down? If you remember earlier in John chapter 10, I know you've got this verse memorized. I'll put it up anyways. When Jesus was speaking about being the good shepherd, you might recall that Jesus said this. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And in verse 4, and his sheep follow him. Read this with me. Because they know his voice. Because they know his voice. So when you shepherd someone... When you parent someone, when you feed someone, when you care for someone, which voice are they going to hear? William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury during World War II wrote this, whether we seem to his sheep, their shepherds or strangers, will depend on whether they can recognize our voice as His. Whether you seem to the people in your life as a caregiver and shepherd or a stranger will depend on whether or not your voice sounds like Jesus' voice. And I know, I know your stories. So many of us have spent so much time learning that the harsh words we received in our childhood are not the same words that Jesus speaks to us now. 
Does that make sense? If you want to raise your children or your grandchildren, and I don't care how old they are. Let's say your kids are 60. It doesn't matter. Or they're six. Right now, you have the calling. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the responsibility that your voice would sound like Jesus' voice in their life. Do not wait, do not postpone, do not say, well, I'll just, you know, I've always done it this way. No, your voice needs to sound like God's voice in your friends, in your family, in your nieces and nephews, in kids and grandkids, their life. Why? Because you want to train everyone in your life to recognize the voice of their good shepherd. And you want your voice to sound like his voice. And as you all know, parenting doesn't stop even when your children are grown. And the same goes for you. Jesus is still parenting you. I know that someone, so, much, so many of us, oftentimes we struggle hearing God's voice. And when I talk and pray with you, you know what I discover? You know what we discover? And we, we just... Figured this out on Coastal Core. 35 of us on Wednesday nights have been doing exchange work and praying. And part of the conversation that keeps on coming out is that, is that the voice that we've been listening to, maybe it sounds like our parents' voice. Maybe it actually sounds more like our voice. It's condemning. It's, it's judging. It's demanding. It's harsh. It's cold. It's critical. And that's not the voice of Jesus. When Jesus says, Love me. What he's inviting you to do is to listen to his voice, to be loved, to have your whole life filled up with his love. And then that same love, that same voice would then spill over into everybody around you. So will you listen to Jesus when he says starboard? Will you listen to Jesus when he says starboard? Yes. And will you love Jesus? Will you let him love you to hear his voice so that you can speak with his voice to the people in your life? Will you? Yes. Third time, verse 17. Third time, Jesus says to Peter, read it with me. And at this time, Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? But it's a good hurt. It's a really good hurt because now Peter finally doesn't have to prove how much he loves Jesus. Now Peter has come to the end of his pride. Pride is simply just doing everything on your own. And when you come to the end of the pride, what you realize is that God knows everything and can do everything and is in charge of everything, which means you come to trust him in every area of your life. It's called surrender. And so this is the moment that Peter surrenders. And finally, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know 
that I love you. You know if I love you or if I don't. I do love you, Jesus, but even more so, I trust your knowledge of my own heart, Peter is saying. And finally, Peter's eyes are up from his own navel. When Martin Luther translated sin from Latin into German, the word sin was translated as navel gazing. And that's all pride and sin is. I'm just focused on me all the time. How are you doing? I don't know. It's the older that I get, the less I can see. It's terrible. I was hoping to see less of myself so that I could see more of myself, but I'm this pride. And the end of pride is the end of you trying to examine your own navel and lifting up your eyes and focusing them on Jesus. That's the end of pride. See, pride is destroyed when we're vulnerable, when we say to other people in a group, as Jesus is having this conversation with Peter in front of a group, pride is destroyed when you take the risk of saying, I don't have it all figured out, Jesus, but you do. I don't know. I, I know that I'm failing, Jesus, but you know that you, you're the one who can rescue me and save me. It's so beautiful. We're, we're never resurrected by ourselves. Do you remember when Lazarus comes out of the grave? Do you remember what Jesus says? He says not, he doesn't say to Lazarus, unwrap the grave clothes by yourselves. What does he say? He speaks to Lazarus' friends and says, unwrap him. See, we do resurrection work together. That's how it works, always together. And the reason why we do it together is because Jesus wanted to create a community in which you and I could love each other back to life because that's where fear is dissolved and that's where pride is destroyed. It's in community, talking, sharing with one another. And that community of faith is called the? Yes! And that's why you show up on a Sunday, and that's why you show up during the week, and that's why you go to the Bible study, and that's why you go up to, to the programs, is because you can't resurrect yourself by yourself. Anybody successful at doing that? Everybody that I know that doesn't go to church because, oh, I don't like those church people, they're sick and tired of, of people that are broken. And I get it, I get it, I get it. I work at a church. I get it. I get it. But the solution isn't to leave. The solution is to become the kind of person where you start speaking like Jesus to yourself and others. Now, I wish I could land the plane here. I wish... Peter was healed and restored. You know, he denied three, Jesus three times. Jesus asks him three times. So he's the restoration process complete. I wish that everything worked out for Peter perfectly from here on, right? Wouldn't that be great? Because that's what I want in my life. Okay, Jesus, I'll have a conversation with you. It'll be painful for a moment, but then I'll be all better, right? Yee, that's not how it works. Ready? Verse 20. So Jesus and Peter take a walk. Jesus says, come here, Peter, take a walk. And Jesus actually tells Peter, look, um, one day, you know that promise that you made about dying for me? 
like that's actually going to happen. You, you are going to die for me in this mission. You're going to be crucified. And Peter's like, okay, now this is going to happen 27 years later. Peter will be crucified in Rome in AD 64, about 27 years after this conversation. And as Jesus and Peter are walking along and Peter's kind of digesting this information, he hears and feels somebody behind him. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the most annoying youth group kid in the world, right? John's a teenager. He's about 17 years old at this point, right? And again, John has written himself in the book of John. He's beating Peter. He's He's saying, oh, he recognizes Jesus first on the shore. It's the Lord, Peter. And Peter jumps off the boat, right? He beats Peter to the tomb. I mean, on and on and on. John is the thorn in Peter's side. John drives Peter crazy. So John narrates that this was him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper. And this is my edition. It's John, y'all, right? Like, it's John. John is John there. And then Peter looks at Jesus and seeing John, looks at Jesus and says, uh, Jesus, what, if, what about him? Please tell me you're going to kill him too. Uh, like, please. Oh, man. It's so disappointing. Like, Jesus, Peter has just been restored. And the first walk he has with Jesus, he messes up again. I love that. Because that's my life. And what's Jesus' response? Ready? Verse 22. Jesus answered, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus is like, mind your own business. Follow me. Mind your own business. Follow me. But Jesus, what about all the annoying people? Mind your own business. Follow me. What about that guy? He's not following. Mind your own business. Follow me. What about that pastor? He's a hypocrite. Mind your own business. Follow me. What about my sister? She's so... Mind your own business. Follow me. What about those awful people that confess? Mind your own business. Follow me. What about what's going to happen? Mind your own business. Follow me. To follow Jesus means that you keep your eyes riveted on him because he's the author and perfecter of your faith. To follow Jesus means that you no longer look to your doubts like Thomas. To follow Jesus means that you no longer look to yourself like Peter. To follow Jesus means you no longer look or compare yourself to others like Peter and John is saying to everybody who's reading this, his contemporaries in his own community, John is saying to them, listen, y'all, don't look to me, look to Jesus. Don't look to my faith, look to Jesus. Don't elevate anybody other than Jesus. Only Jesus has the words of life, which you desperately need. Only Jesus can resurrect your dead and wounded heart. 
Only Jesus can free you from your pride and your fear and your doubts. Pursue Jesus. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. On the cross, he paid for your debts. Forgives your sins. In his resurrection, he grants to you all of his righteousness. Everything that he's ever earned. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He is your very life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't live in the past about what's been done to you or your failures. Don't live in the future, in that land of whatabouts and what-ifs and whatabouts. No, stay present because Jesus is here, present with you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here, now, in the present. Because he's got everything you need. He's your good shepherd, your prince of peace, your comforter, your chain breaker, your hope, your savior, your Lord, and your God. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. Forgive us, Lord. We, our, our habit, like Peter, is we bounce from pride to comparison in an instant, even though you're standing right in front of us. Holy Spirit, would you please forge in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits a deep and abiding love for you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us eyes which search for you and you alone. Lord Jesus, give us eyes that are fixed on you when the waves are over our head. Give us eyes that are fixed on you when things are going really well. Give us eyes that are fixed on you when we're bored, when we're tempted, when we're depressed. Lord, bless and seal all of the good things that you've spoken, that we've sung, that we've heard into our hearts and spirits. Prevent the enemy from choking or stealing these things away. Bless and protect my friends this week as they fix their eyes on you. Show them the people that you've given them to love. That they have someone this week that they can speak to in your voice with your love and your kindness. Most of all, Lord Jesus, grow this resurrection life in our spirits. Awaken us more and more and more. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And all God's beloved children said,